It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome into the Lockdown Chargers Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade, joined as always by my co-host, David Drogmeyer. And on today's show, the king of wrong, John Kegley, in here with us to break down last week's game against the Raiders. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. For me, I love watching Justin Herbert in primetime football taking down the Raiders, and you know that Pepsi, the king of Pepsi, that is the refreshment that he needs to power through any game day and the one that you need as well because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Before we get started, we are three writers who got our start at San Diego Sports Domination, San Diego's top sports blog, and we've been covering the Chargers now for over five seasons, doing our own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live, which airs weekly, and now this is our third season as the host of the Locked On Chargers podcast, bringing you your team every day. All right, guys, well, I know I can speak for myself in saying that this weekend was especially great because you got to, you know, not have to stress out on the Sunday whether the Chargers were going to blow another lead or not because you already got your win and it was on Thursday night football and on today's show we're going to get a little bit more into that game and talk about some of the things we really liked about it at the end of the show after John Kegley the king of all things wrong is going to tell us what happened in this week's win over the Raiders that he didn't like from the game and I mean I think there was plenty to not like as well Uh, Michael Badgley anybody (laughs) but before we get into that we're going to start with an article about how much cap space the Chargers will have in 2021 and why you probably won't see them go after any free agent names or any big ones at least so let's go ahead and get into it the chargers have ample cap space going into next season but you probably shouldn't get your hopes up that they are going to get a big name free agent this is daniel wade joined by david drogmeyer with your locked on chargers lead story in an article for boltbeat.com jason reed explored if the chargers would sign any big name free agents in 2021 and the fact that they probably would not even though they have a lot of cap space and they really do have a good amount of cap space especially considering the cap that has been put on the nfl in 2021 because of the covid19 virus but It really makes sense, David, that they wouldn't go after somebody like this because even though they do have that money, the problem is is they have 34 players that are signed with that cap space already. They have 19 roster spots that they're going to have to fill with that money, not including next year's draft picks and all of that. But even though they have that money, I mean, I think this is probably right. They're probably not going to be getting anyone that is a big name at all. 
I wouldn't expect it, Daniel. I, I would not expect the Chargers to go out there and be very aggressive in free agency, although they do have the seventh most cap space going into the 2021 season with $33.4 million. They have a lot of guys that they still need to take care of in-house. They did get their two most important contracts done before this season with Joey Bosa and Keenan Allen, but at the end of this year, there are several people that need to get re-signed. Free safety Rayshon Jenkins is one of them. Cornerback Michael Davis, who has played very well this season and is going into his offseason as a free agent. He is definitely going to be a priority for the Chargers to re-sign. Tight end Hunter Henry has had a great season, one of the best of his career. So I would expect the Chargers are wanting to, going to want to sit down with him and try to work out a long-term contract, as well as three members of their starting offensive line. So there is no shortage of contracts that need to be doled out by the Chargers. We're going to have to see how they are going to navigate this offseason. But I would agree with the columnist. I do not expect that the Chargers will be making any splashy moves this offseason. And if they do have more cap space than expected, it's because one of the guys they wanted to bring back didn't come back. And I mean, guys like Michael Davis and Hunter Henry, those are very valuable commodities on the free agent market. I mean, you don't often get guys playing at that level going into unrestricted free agency and the Chargers will have a chance before the market opens up to get their own players signed back onto the team. And you know, those guys will be priorities, but there's only so much you can do. And really what that means, David, is that if the Chargers are going to add a lot of talent to next year's team, they're going to have to build it through the draft and not only build it through the draft, but Tom Telesco is going to have to hit on not just his first or second round pick. I mean, he's going to have to hit throughout the draft to bring in some starters potentially to this team and to really revamp the depth because obviously the Chargers don't have a lot of guys coming back. So there are a lot of positions of need the Chargers will still have to target in the 2021 draft if they want to get competitive in 2021. That's absolutely right, and that would be going in line with Tom Telesco's philosophy of trying to grow through the, the draft and re sign your homegrown talent. You went through a deep dive on the LA Football Network about Tom Telesco and all the moves that he's done, and some of them have been pretty questionable. I mean, he needs to make better decisions. If he is the Chargers general manager next year, the Chargers have to address several positions of need going into this offseason their offensive line maybe a guard maybe a tackle we don't know what they're going to do in the offseason your corners are a little old after michael davis they're over 30 with chris harris jr and casey hayward jr they need to get younger there pass rusher is going to be another position of need you don't know what's going to happen with melvin ingram behind joy bosa you have uchen and wosu and possibly jerry tillery you still don't know what you have there just a very thin behind joy bosa at pass rusher so there are several positions that need to be restocked as well as adding talent to special teams as well and possibly a kicker because we know that michael badgley hasn't had the best of seasons he's missed the most kicks in the nfl so there's a lot of positions that need to be taken care of daniel and there's only so many draft picks yeah and the chargers did pick up an extra third round pick because of philip rivers leaving for the indianapolis Colts. so they'll have eight draft picks so far in this year coming up so it'll be very interesting to see how they try to use all of those things because there are big needs on this roster I mean wide receiver are you buying into what Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson have been doing as far as the depth behind Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and as far as Mike Williams goes are you still convinced that he's going to be worth 15 million dollars in cap space in 2021 if you have these younger guys coming up and you have a chance to take another playmaker in the draft so whoever the general manager is going to be because it's still expected that Anthony Lynn could be fired in the offseason and that Tom Telesco's job is still not that safe either and the Chargers could 
just decide to clear house entirely. But whoever gets this team, whoever takes control of it, if they do go in that direction, is going to have a lot of pressure on them to build around Justin Herbert, their rookie superstar. But we do have two more segments to get into because we do have to get into what went wrong in last week's game against the Raiders before wrapping things up with what went right. And finally, we have a lot of things we can actually talk about in that segment. So that's obviously nice. And we're going to get into that coming up right after this. But this episode is brought to you by 1010. Now, you may have read about it in the New York Times or Forbes, and we're excited to tell you about it because 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 one-of-a-kind engagement rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Using only diamonds responsibly sourced from Botswana, 10 design masters have each produced a uniquely beautiful commitment ring, launching exclusively January 18th at BlueNile.com. And when they're gone, they're gone. We all know that the diamond engagement ring is iconic. It's a timeless expression of the deepest commitment between two people. And with 1010, it's been beautifully re-envisioned in the hands of 10 modern designers working exclusively with sustainably sourced diamonds. If you're making 2021 plans or looking for a unique and meaningful way to celebrate Valentine's Day, you're definitely going to want to check this out. Again, this exciting limited edition collection of diamond engagement rings launches on January 18th, and you can preview it exclusively at BlueNile.com. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, well, it's time to get into a segment we didn't get to get into after the Chargers game last week because they played on Thursday Night Football, and that is our What Went Wrong segment. And here today we have our expert in all things wrong, King Kong wrong, John Kegley, the pessimist, here to, even in a win, tell us all the things that went wrong for the Chargers because there were a lot of things that still went wrong. The Chargers had many opportunities to put this game away, and they could not, amongst you know many other things that we were worried about for them coming into this one. So, John, before we get into everything that went wrong, what was the biggest thing you went wrong for the Chargers on Thursday night football against the Raiders? For me, it had to be not getting off of the field. You allowed the Raiders to go 4 for 4 on fourth down. I mean, they went 5 for 13 on third down, but those fourth downs really kind of make that 9 for 13, so to speak. But you could not get off the field to save your life. You kept letting the Raiders stay on the field, wear out your defense, have 37 minutes of time of possession after you started out with some pretty decent offensive drives yourself going down the field and taking up a decent chunk of time. But you let the Raiders stay on the field constantly, especially in overtime. And in the second half, your defense was getting tired because you could not get them off the field. It's It was pretty bad, especially with backup quarterback. I know it's Marcus Mariota, but it's still a guy who hasn't played the whole entire year, and you let him just stay on the field the whole game. Yeah, and the third down stops don't mean as much when you let them convert on fourth down so obviously that's been one of the Chargers biggest issues all season is just being able to get off the field at a good times and really you know make big impact plays to get the ball back to their offense and usually for the Chargers what happens is 
once the offense stops being able to get something going, then the defense stops being able to get stops on the opposing offense. And that's something we've seen hurt the Chargers so many times. But one of those things, like you talked about, was Marcus Mariota and what he was able to do with his legs. And obviously the Chargers rush defense is always something that we worry about. And one of the things that has been a real kryptonite for the Chargers, not just this year, but in years past as well, is just a quarterback that can move, a quarterback that can run. You thought Kenneth Murray would be a big help in this case because, you know, at least you have a more athletic linebacker that can go and chase one of these guys down. But once again, David, we see a quarterback just absolutely shred the Chargers with his legs. And a lot of those key situations, they were putting the ball in the hands of Marcus Mariota and telling him to pick it up there. And nine carries for 88 yards and a touchdown. I know you were preparing for Derek Carr. And if it was just this one time, I'd be like, okay, maybe it was just because the game plan was totally set up for Derek Carr. In this case, I've seen it happen so many times to the Chargers. I'm just not willing to really lend them that one as far as their mistakes. I could just because this is something that keeps happening. And once again, Marcus Mariota shredded them. He absolutely did. I mean, he, he was their best runner uh, against them on Thursday night by, by Easily, far. Yeah. I mean, Josh Jacobs was okay, but Marcus Mariota was ripping off large chunks like all night long, extending drives and really adding a different element to that Raiders offense, one that we're not used to because Derek Carr can extend plays from time to time, but he's nowhere close to the type of runner that Marcus Mariota is. I mean, we saw that on Thursday night. For me, my what went wrong was there was no pass rush at all. They really did not get after either quarterback, whether it was Derek Carr or Marcus Mariota, and there was a lot of missed tackles, and I mean a lot. I mean, Rayshon Jenkins missed several tackles. I mean, Chris Casey Hayward missed a couple tackles. I mean, there were several individuals that missed tackles in this game, and it allowed them to get five or six or seven extra yards because they let the running back or the receiver slip through their hands. It was really frustrating on the rewatch. Yeah, no, it definitely was. I mean, obviously that's something that usually kills them in the running game too, and they actually did a pretty good job on Josh Jacobs, and we'll talk about that more in the next segment because I was impressed with that part of it, but obviously the total of it, I mean, what the Raiders were able to rush for in that game, I mean, is just way too much. I mean, even if most of that's the quarterback, that's still a terrible game. But obviously one thing that we have to touch on, John, is Michael Badgley and the fact that, I mean, he still is going to have a job tomorrow, and that's not surprising in that sense. But continually, I mean, he just keeps on missing big kicks. And I want to know if the situations for you make any difference at all. Obviously, he's missed a ton of very, you know, potentially game-winning kicks so far this season. He missed two go-ahead kicks in this one, one from 47 and one from 51, both with less than three minutes and 38 seconds to play. But the first one, the ball is a bad snap. It looked like the holder got it up in time, and it still looked like he should have made that. And then the second time, I know people were accusing Anthony Lynn of kind of icing his own kicker at the end of that game, trying to draw as much clock as he could out of it before calling that timeout. So, are you lending any credence to those, you know, excuses, or is it just, hey, this is it? I mean, he's had as much of a chance as he needs, and now he just has to go. There is no excuse at all for Michael Badgley missing those kicks. Is he has missed a game-winning kick already against the Saints? That's cost the Chargers a win, <sighs> and then he almost cost the Chargers this one with the same situation. There's no excuse for it. You can't say Anthony Lynn really iced his own kicker. Because they weren't set up and ready to go. The, you know they were running the clock down. Badgley knows they were running the clock down and going to call a timeout. Icing the kicker is more of they're all set up and he's ready to go. 
and then you ice him by calling the timeout. Now you have to think about right. it. Or it didn't look like they were ever going to snap. Yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. So you can't really call icing on that one. And then with the one with the bad snap, he it was still a good hold. It was still put down. It was ready to go. Badgley's missed a lot of kicks this year. Something is going on with him, whether it could have been from prior injury that he had. Could, maybe he's just not the same guy anymore after taking time off. Who knows what it is, but he's not the same guy anymore. It might be time to move on. you got to really look for a replacement this offseason. you got to at least entertain the, the training camp battle. Yeah, and Anthony Lynn's, you know, comments on her, hey, I'm going to work through it with this guy as if, you know, Anthony Lynn is going to somehow teach Michael Badgley how to kick. But I think for kickers, so much of the time, because obviously it's not a physical thing. It's not like he's missing these kicks short or anything like that. It's all between the ears, and I think it's a confidence thing. And time after time, I mean, you expect him potentially to be better in this game coming off of a game where he kicked the game-winning kick. Not the case. He still comes back, has two more opportunities, gets a chance for retribution, and still can't knock it through. I mean, it just doesn't get much worse than that. Two attempts to potentially win the game, and you miss both of them. I mean, it would be asinine to think you should be going into 2021 without another kicker at least pushing him. I mean, at least giving someone else a chance. I mean, I would be okay with drafting one late if you think you're getting the best kicker coming out of college, and I haven't done my kicker tape yet, but I'll get to it. But, I mean, it just you can't keep that going. But, David, another thing that the Chargers, I think, have taken a lot of heat for since this game, and I think it's nice to kind of do this segment today, just because we've kind of gotten to see all of the reactions from what people have had to say about that game. And another thing that popped up was just the fact that the Chargers only let Justin Herbert throw the ball a one time in the fourth quarter. And that stat might be a little bit misleading. There was only eight plays offensively that they ran besides a field goal in that fourth quarter. They ran six running plays in two passing plays. One of them ends up being a sack. The other passing play, I think, was actually a big pass interference on the Raiders that was missed. The only one they missed in that game because the Raiders were doing it the entire game on Hunter Henry. But at the same time, it was working for them all game long, David. They had a chance to really break things open. And what led to those two field goal misses was the fact that you stalled out. You weren't really throwing the ball. You had a bad third and two situation with the play action. And the other time, I mean, you just really weren't letting him throw the ball at all. But... If it's working, why are you changing things up so much? Yeah, I, the only thing I can think of is they're trying to drain in as much clock as they as they can to try to sit on the lead. I mean, we all know that Anthony Lynn coaches not to not to lose, and he doesn't coach to win. That's just that's his philosophy. That's that's what he does. So I mean, they didn't I mean, have the lead though. <laughs> I mean, that's what. It, but that's what it seems like. I mean, I just I don't understand why they would go away from the pass when it was so effective. And I mean, they were throwing. And these guys were wide open. I mean, like, no defenders really anywhere close to them. There were so many, like Troy Aikman said, there were so many easy throws that was set up for Justin Herbert in this game. Why not just keep it going? I mean, if they kept throwing the football, Herbie could have had 350-plus and probably had the record for the passing touchdowns as a rookie in this football game. But they did go away from it. And I don't exactly understand it like you. But my other what went wrong in this game is they couldn't run the ball. I mean, they just didn't run the ball very effectively. 29 for 96, 3.3 yards per carry. And also, I thought Justin Herbert had missed a couple of opportunities on some read options where there were some gigantic holes to the outside where he could have hit and got at least 7, 8-plus yards on those carries. I'd like to see him tuck it down to run a, a little bit more, and I, I think it would help the running game. 
I think so too. I mean, we've seen him have so much success, especially on read option plays and stuff like that. And a lot of times it seems like he's kind of going through the motions on that one. I don't know if he's struggling with the reads on it. I mean, you wouldn't think so. He did that at Oregon as well, but sometimes it seems like he hands it off and it was just like, Oh, why did you hand that one off? You know what I mean? You're supposed to be reading the defensive end. If he crashes, you tuck it and you take it. And I feel like there have been some left opportunities out on that field as far as that goes. But John, I think this game was another chance to see the Chargers kind of fail in some play calling situations. Once again, we talked about only one throw for Justin Herbert in the fourth quarter, but we didn't talk as much about the third and two play action that gets called, you know, and then the Chargers don't know how to block it. And then they just get sacked after Justin Herbert makes a man miss. I mean, there was just no chance on that play at all, but also just the third and one for Kalen Balazs on the Raiders side of the field. After you get a boost from a couple of penalties, you have a third and one and Kalen Balazs goes for negative four yards. So I know obviously the last one, John, they at least didn't just run the ball up the middle. Somehow it was way worse than that. But what did you think of those play calls? I want to know why the quick snap and throw basically isn't part of this playbook. What's wrong with Herbert? with a three-step drop and throw a hook route or a slant route or a fade route, something like that. Why don't we ever see a lot of that, especially in the red zone? If it's first and 10, there's nothing like, wrong with it. <laughs> they always why, do it Why end. don't we yeah. see it in the red zone? You got Hunter Henry who can probably find a hole in the zone easily. Keaton Allen who could run probably the greatest slant route in NFL history. And you have guys like Mike Williams and Tyrone Johnson. I'm, I believe Tyrone could be a decent jump ball receiver based on the way I've seen him jump for balls that are overthrown to him. You've got guys like Mike Williams and Tyrone Johnson who could both be a jump ball receiver in that end zone. There's no reason why one of those routes is not somehow, some way implemented in a three-step quick throw on third or fourth and short, or even at the goal line. You could have done that instead of the quarterback sneak with Herbert, really. I mean, I know we've begged for the quarterback sneak from Herbert, but that's also a situation where they know you're going to do it. Why not? back off and quick throw it i don't i don't get it it's simple it's easy there's not much chance for turnovers but yet we go with the hardest situations the rollout your offensive line has struggled the whole game blocking and you're gonna roll out and make herbert try to find someone open when you could have one two three throw Kalen balaj same situation you could have even done a screen route with that kind of play instead you do the stuff that they know is coming. I don't understand this coaching staff's play calling ability, especially what David said earlier. They play like they already have the lead instead of just trying to run up the score or even just putting the game away, really. You, there's chances to put the game away, and you play like as if you have the lead by, let's say, like 17. Yeah. Well, my, my problem with the play calling is why are you using your big back to go to the outside instead of Austin Eckler, the speed back or the elusive guy to get to the outside? Why aren't you, if you got Cam Balazs on a third and one, run him up the middle. That is what he's designed to do. Let him get that fall forward, you know, find a hole. Don't have him go into the outside to try to beat somebody to the edge. I mean, let Austin Eckler do that. Have the right player in for the right play. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I mean, but I'm also not going to call for them to give it to Cam Balazs up the middle, you know, on a third and one when I hate those up the middle runs. But Cam Balazs has actually been okay with it. But I get the sentiment of why are you running him? outside and I think the problem with both of those plays is 
Both of them took way too long to set up. I mean, you need something that's quick hitting. Even if it's a play action, you need to turn and throw you know, right away for the most part or at least get him going in the direction where he can escape for something or at least block it well enough for him to throw the ball away if he has to, and neither one of those things happened. But both of those plays just seemed like they took way too long to develop, and both of them ended up as negative plays that ended up leaving points off of the board. But we do have... One more segment to get into the good things, too, because I did like some of the play calling other than those in this game. The Chargers will get back to finding some big plays in this one, which is something that we have desperately missed. So we're going to get into all of the great things that happened in this game as well, because we're not just pessimists. But hey, in every win, things go wrong. I mean, that's just life in the NFL. And we're going to get into what went right coming up right after this. But first, are you guys ready for this weekend's football slate? Because I am very excited as the last couple of weeks of the NFL get going. Plus, we have you know college football, bowl games, all of those things. So much good stuff to bet on. And for you guys, I have the only place that you should be putting your money, and that is BetOnline.com. .ag. There's only one place that has you covered in one place that we trust. If you guys sign up today, you can get a free account at betonline.ag and use that promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. The Chargers are a minus three favorite right now over the Broncos this weekend. You guys can go sign up with that promo code locked on, all caps, one word, at betonline.ag to get your 50% welcome bonus. That's free money if you guys want to bet with betonline.ag on this weekend's games. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, guys. Well, now it's time to get into something on a lighter note because... Obviously, the Chargers did have some things go right because they finished a game and they won a game in overtime, which is not something that I really, you know, was faithful that the Chargers were going to do. And David, you are the optimist of the group. You're the one that sees the cup half full. You know, you can find the sunshine on a rainy day. So you wanted your title. You wanted your intro. You got it. David, what went right for the Chargers in this game? Oh, that was so lovely. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're like my the angel what, and devil on my shoulders. That's that's right. That's right. So my what went right for this one is a man we've mentioned a couple times in this show, and that's Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry had a great yep. game in this one. Five catches, 65 yards, a touchdown. But more importantly, he was clutch on third downs. He had three catches on third down that moved the chains and extended drives. You can really see that chemistry between Justin Herbert and, and Hunter Henry really building or really just get established in this football game. I mean, they got him involved and put put him in situations on crucial downs to help the team move forward. We all know that when Hunter Henry gets involved in the offense, he makes that offense better. It just looks better when the tight end is more involved. Hunter Henry had a great game. It was great to see. And there was one play where Herbert was rolling out to his right. And you finally saw those two on the same page in that situation. And really, when you're talking about Hunter Henry, what you want to see from him the rest of the season is, what can his rapport be with Justin Herbert? Is this a guy you need to keep around for Herbert because he's going to have all the faith in him and they're going to be able to be productive together? 
And Hunter Henry has stayed healthy all season long, and he gets tremendous credit for that. But he's also been up and down. He's in some game plans more than others. He's more effective on some days than you know than others. But in this game, they were on the same page. He was making big plays. He found them and short of the end zone, and he was able to get into the end zone. But it was really good to see that chemistry. And on that play, when he's rolling out to the right, Hunter Henry makes a move, you know, a secondary move, not his original route. Justin Herbert throws it across his body and ends up putting it in a perfect spot where Hunter Henry is able to dive and get it. And for me, that was just one of those things. It's like, okay, these guys need to stay together, you know, or at least was another chip into that basket because it's something I've wondered if those guys are really on the same page. He gets a ton of targets and hasn't turned into a ton of production in some weeks. So I thought that was really good to see, but it wasn't just him as far as pass catchers, John, because there was two other guys that stepped up, Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson. Both of those guys we knew were going to have to have a big impact in this game because Keenan Allen and Mike Williams barely played in this game. And when they did, they didn't make much of an impact. They only had three catches put together. But then you look at what Jalen Guyton and uh, Tyron Johnson or T. Billy did in this one. Jalen Guyton goes four for 91 and has the 53-yard catch in overtime. But, I mean, when you look at what these guys were able to do together. I mean, 10 catches for 146 yards and a touchdown that Tyron Johnson got. I mean, it wasn't just the speed in this game. I mean, Jalen Guyton was mostly speed, but I saw Tyron Johnson actually, you know, running some pretty crisp routes. I saw KJ Hill doing the same thing, and he, you know, deserves a mention in this part as well. But what I'm kind of wondering now, John, is after seeing a game like this when you needed these guys, they came in and stepped up. If that changes your opinion at all, I you know, as far as what the needs the Chargers have at that position. I mean, they have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen for sure next season, unless they cut Mike Williams by surprise, which I don't think is going to happen. But how did that make you feel seeing those guys step up as, you know, really the number one and number two options? Well, I think it brings into conversation, do you maybe trade Mike Williams for a draft pick and make one of these guys the, the next man up? Tyron Johnson maybe takes that spot. Jalen Guyton could be the slot or the or the outside receiver. He could be either one, really, and Keenan Allen could play outside or slot. But I think it brings the question, do you trade Mike Williams, who's constantly hurt, who could probably get you a decent draft pick, and you won't have to pay them all the money when he becomes due for it? Because you just had three guys step up really big, even this year, really. Tyron Johnson, since the Tampa Bay game, has been stepping up. Jalen Guyton's been stepping up with these deep, these deep catches. He almost had another deep touchdown catch from Herbert. He just got tackled a yard short, but he stepped up really big and had a lot of those this year. You have the speed. You have the route running that you need. And KJ Hill, probably with some development, could probably be another one of those guys. He hasn't had a great year, but he showed that he could be a clutch catch receiver with that third down conversion to end the first half. So yep. you have someone that you can develop there. The other two are basically already somewhat developed. You just got to make them part of your game plan now. But I think the other question is, is Anthony Lynn here next year? If he is, how do those receivers fit into the new game plan, what the coach wants to do? There's a lot of questions that you have, but I think it brings in a lot more to the table, including trading Mike Williams possibly to save money. And I, I just don't know if you're going to get anything from Mike Williams. I know, obviously, you know, if teams see the potential 
maybe they could try to give you something. But the thing is, is if you're trading for Mike Williams, you're getting him on a one-year $15 million contract, which is you know up there with some of the top paid receivers in the NFL. And with his injury history, are you going to trade valuable assets to potentially only get him for 10 games in a season You know, with the history that he has? So I'd be very interested to see what that market would look like. But the Chargers could also cut him. You're not going to get anything back for it, so it's not sexy or anything like that. But I mean, it's just one of those things where you didn't think you'd be having that conversation. But at this point, especially with the Chargers having to sign as many guys as they have, I mean, I definitely think the discussion is there, even though I think the most likely scenario is that Mike Williams is back with the team. But I think the other big thing from this game, David, was the defense getting a couple really big stops. And the first one came in the first half, the drive that Derek Carr got injured. You had a first and goal opportunity from the five-yard line and you get a stop. I know Derek Carr gets her as he's running towards the sideline. I don't think he was going to complete that pass. The Chargers played it pretty well on that one. And the other one is obviously in overtime. You they you let them get down to the four-yard line, and you come up with you know something you haven't seen from them all season. I talked about before. They were at like 20 consecutive drives where the opponent got inside goal-to-go opportunities, and they scored touchdowns. And now twice in this game, especially when it mattered most at the very end of the game, they were able to come away with stops to give the team a chance. The defense was incredibly impressive in that way, Daniel, because they were on the field a lot in this game. I mean, I remember the, the Raiders had like a 19 play drive. I mean, that is absolutely backbreaking for a defense. That is a long, long time to be on the football field. And when the the Chargers absolutely needed to have it. And when I felt like when I was watching this game in overtime, when they got down to the four yard line, I was like, oh, they they don't have anything left. They, They have nothing left. They've been on the field way too long. They've given everything they've got. The Raiders have been cutting through them like butter. That's it. But to their credit, you know, they, they, they manned up. Chris Harris said, Hey, you know, let me get your best three plays. They did provide their best three plays. They got that stop. They forced that field goal, and they gave their rookie quarterback another opportunity to go out there and get a win for their team, and that's exactly what he did. And for me, my other Wentworth right, and this might be a little bit controversial, but ever since Anthony Lynn took over the special teams reigns, (laughs) there hasn't been any major special team snafus besides the field goals that have been missed, and I feel like that's more of a player thing than anything else. But there hasn't been any missed assignments or anything like that so i got to give a little bit of a little bit of credit to the head coach for you know getting the special teams under control yeah i mean i feel like the bar is set so low that we're kind of taking you know baseline special teams play and being like oh that's really nice to have i mean i get it i mean the chargers haven't had any devastating special teams plays except for the two missed field goals but i mean for anthony lynn nobody cares really about what you're doing with the special teams you know they care more about how are you managing the game? Are you putting the right players in positions to succeed? And all those things. But I definitely, I mean, you're right. They haven't had any disasters on special teams since he took over. But you mentioned something, and it was the name Justin Herbert. And, of course, we have to give a shout-out to our boy Herbie for really just lighting up the Raiders. 22 out of 32, 314 yards. This was the impressive part to me. 9.8 yards per attempt. I mean, that's ridiculous, and that's where this— And he completed passes to seven different wide receivers and had five receivers that had at least three catches, too, Daniel. I mean, he really was balling out, and he was And you brought up 9.8. Especially when the wide receivers are tired of Johnson. And you brought up 9.8 <laughs> yards per attempt. That means offensively you were taking shots, which was part of the keys to the game. You finally were taking shots and yep. not just throwing it 
behind the line of scrimmage or just two yards in front of the line of scrimmage. You took shots in this game, and look how well we moved Huge. the ball. 100%. And that was the thing. And it wasn't even just the deep shot, right? And, the, I mean, Jalen Guyton should have had another one, right? Guys in the end zone, Trayvon Mullen almost came away with an interception. That could have been another deep bomb for Herbert. That would have looked really nice as well. But 9.8 yards per attempt, but that is – you're throwing the ball past the first down marker, and it was great. I mean, the Hunter Henry play I talked about, rolling out to his right, coming back across his body. There was a couple of plays to Tyron Johnson and also K.J. Hill. They went back-to-back on that corner route because they kept beating Trayvon Mullen and the safety on that play. I mean, there was just so many times in this game where they were taking advantage of what the Raiders gave them. That was another thing I loved in this. I mean, Justin Herbert, I mean, if you guys have seen videos out there on Twitter of some of these plays broken down, I mean, where his eyes are on the field as far as, like, looking off safeties, turning his head last second. I've seen Dan Orlovsky and some other guys break this down. I mean, it's crazy to see him, you know, manipulating safeties and beating these defenses the ways he is and just, you know, firing rockets all over the field. And when you have Justin Herbert, you don't want to see the 5.5 yards per attempt where he's dumping off to Austin Eckler. You know, you want to see him rip the ball down the field. And we saw how much different this Chargers offense looked when they were able to do that. So they left nine, you know, they left another six points out on the field on this one. And they ended up with 30 points. I mean, obviously things might be different if you hit one of those field goals, but this offense should have had an even better day and they should have put up even bigger numbers, but it was a much better game plan than the one that we saw the week previous. But Justin Herbert continues his campaign for offensive rookie of the year. I mean, I think he pretty much has it wrapped up at this point, but that is going to do it for us for today's show. This week is going to be a little bit different because Christmas is on Friday, so we are off on Friday. But tomorrow, we're going to get into you guys' voicemails. So if you guys want to hit up the voicemail line, the number is 323-524-7924. And we'll try to get all the Chargers voicemails on the show. If you guys don't already, make sure to go follow us on Twitter at LockedOnLAC. And to like the Facebook page, LockedOnChargers. As well as subscribing to us, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Wherever you get your podcasts from, you can find the Locked On Chargers podcast there. And if you like the show, make sure to rate and review too so we can keep doing this thing but that is going to wrap things up for today's show we'll be back with you guys tomorrow with a bunch of questions in our voicemail show until then take it easy and go bolts is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements maybe it's time for a rebuild or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the lombardi trophy either way join keith sanchez and damian parson for mock draft monday on the locked on nfl draft podcast They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.